You are listening to the Testudo Times Podcast Network. Welcome to the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast. I'm Matt Levine with Cody Wilcox today, and we'll start by recapping men's basketball's game against Rhode Island this past weekend. They came out and won 73-55, to but it was a terrible and ugly first half from the Terps. Yeah, before before we get on the game, we just want to say, you know, today we're missing a member of our team, Lila. Uh, she's out with a little sickness, so we hope she gets better soon. But as far as basketball goes, yeah, it was a 9 p.m. tip-off, and honestly, I think the Terps were a little bit sleepy coming out because they had... A terrible performance as far as turnovers go, something they struggled with last year. You know, 14 turnovers in the first half, 17 in total. But the thing is, is and we, we saw this in the LSU game last year, but the one thing I noticed is, you know, the, the team has a lot of fight in it. And even though they, they didn't come out with their best performance to start, they finished really well and picked up that 73-55 to 55 victory. And I knew I was there going in that, they came out in the first half. They looked very sluggish, obviously turning the ball over. They had a couple of plays in a row where it was a travel, an offensive foul, stepping out of bounds. Basically, every possible way they could turn the ball over, they did it. And then I knew going into halftime, they just went on a big run. They went up by three to go into halftime. They were going to come out firing. You said they had the fight in them in LSU. It was also the in-game adjustments that they made. They went to more of a 1-3-1 zone defense. And that changed so much because they were swarming the ball. And with Wiggins at the top, he's so long, can steal. He had so many steals that way. And that sparked a big run from the Terps. And they ended up pulling away with a big win. I would turn the ball over so many times if, if Aaron Wiggins was at the top of a 1-3-1 zone. Like, I can't even imagine what that's like. And on top of that, I know, I know this is months down the road, or, or actually maybe sooner rather than later, but imagine you know, Maryland's length when they get Chole back and they go a 1-3-1 one, one zone of some sort with him, maybe not at the top, but just with their length and things like that, causing many turnovers. But one of the players, you know, I didn't even realize this, Matt, but Anthony Cowan went scoreless in the first half. 0 for 4, I didn't, it just flew over my, my head. Uh, what did you think about that when watching it? Did you notice it? I didn't notice that he didn't score, but I noticed that he was more quiet than he usually is. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't really around the ball too much. They had Ayala bringing up the ball a lot, and I kind of like that for Cowan being off the ball because when he realizes he's not, he doesn't need to be that first scorer, this team is going to be so good. They're so deep. We talk about it all the time. But when Cowan, he takes four shots in the first half, that's a very small sample size, and that's really something to look out for, and I think it's a good sign because – If you have other guys shooting the ball, like Ayala, you have Jalen Smith, Wiggins, whatever it is, these guys can score. Cowan doesn't really have to force the ball into the net or try to shoot the ball into the net. He doesn't have to force it that way. But then in the second half, he scored all of his points. He had 14 points in the second half. So I think he knows his role as the first or previous two years, rather, he led the team in scoring. I'm not sure he'll lead the team in scoring this year, and I think that will be a good thing. Who do you think leads the team? It could be Jalen Smith. So far, it's Jalen Smith. Yeah. And I think just getting him the ball inside, can he could just put up off the glass. If he becomes a better finisher, I think he'll definitely lead the team. But Cowan's still putting up double-digit double digit points 
a lot of times this season. And that's something I noticed in the second half. You know, they came out of the half. I, I believe they had like a three-point, uh, you know, lead at that point, and they just went right into Jalen Smith out of the half. They wanted to get him more involved. And after the game, Turgeon even said that they wanted to get Anthony more involved on the offensive side and. They went to more high uh, pick and rolls with him to try to get him some bounces, you know, try to get some mismatches, things like that. And like I said, Cowan had all 14 points in the second half. And that's something that, like you said, being the senior leader, being the senior guard on this team, you know, he'll let the game kind of develop and kind of pick pick his shots a little bit better. And that's one thing that we've highlighted previously. But I will say Rhode Island did not come in to the Xfinity Center scared of Maryland, their number seven ranking, their high recruits, nothing. And they really, you could tell from the opening tip that they wanted that win bad. And, you know, you saw some pushing and shoving early and some hard fouls. And they were they were trying to, you know, out-physical Maryland early on. Yeah, and they had a bigger guy. Um, he was at 6'8", 230. But he went up against Jalen Smith, and he weighs more than Jalen Smith. So mm-hmm. it was kind of... They were going back and forth a little bit, like who was stronger, who had more muscle. Mm-hmm. And then Daryl Morcel, who actually started in this game, he's always he might be he might play quiet, but when something kind of fires up, he's that guy that he's the spark. We always say, and he got into a little bit of a skirmish with I don't remember who it was on Rhode Island, but uh, Morcel picked up a technical foul. And that was very early mm-hmm. on in the game, so that kind of set the tone. Um, yeah, that's right. It was a double technical foul. Yeah. And I think it was Cyril Langvine. Yeah, I, Langevine. Langevine, yeah. So Turgeon, after the game, was you know highlighting him uh, for his performance. I can't remember how many rebounds he picked up. It was it was insane, though. And he was like, yeah, I don't want to pronounce his name uh, wrong, but he had an unreal game, things like that. And, yeah, that, that sparked him early because they, uh, they had taken it to Maryland early on and, and things like that. But... He was he's definitely, you know, the one player that will get in the middle of things and take care and be that glue guy and he uh he started. He started and I know we had previously talked a lot about the starting lineup, so and honestly I don't think Turgeon has a set lineup. He said seven or eight guys can start, but did the switch at the start kind of surprise you, Matt? I was more surprised with Makai Mitchell starting. Um, I thought that Daryl Morcel would start in the first game of the year. He started last year. He he's deserves to be on the court, and he had the best game of anyone uh, in the first game against Holy Cross. So I kind of knew going in he'd probably get the nod in this one. But Makai Mitchell being a freshman who wasn't great in the first game, but he definitely he was solid. I think Turgeon wanted to see him in the starter role, see how he reacted to that on a Saturday night. The Xfinity Center was pretty packed loud whatever it is so i think turgeon wanted to kind t- kind of test that out but he makai mitchell didn't play that many minutes and no him and his brother really i think they really struggled with foul trouble and that's yeah. something that will come as they right. you know develop but being like obviously being those bigger guys they'll deal with foul trouble and they kind of have to learn from jalen smith who doesn't really get that that deep into foul trouble mm-hmm. but i think them st- or makai mitchell starting was more of a just a test to see how he kind of comes out and plays right away. Uh, I think Turgeon really wanted to see that, but I'm not sure that this lineup will stay. I think what you said that Turgeon doesn't really have a set lineup, I think that could really change any game. You know, after he started, Matt, 
he only played four minutes. Yeah. So, like you said, I mean, he, he had two points. I know his brother played a few minutes, but uh, going back to Sorrell, say his name again for me. Cyril Langevin. Langevin. He had 17 rebounds, which is insane. Yeah. And, uh, like you said, the starting lineup, um, you know, Sticks finished with 19 when he started, 11 rebounds. Wiggins also got his first career double-double with 13 and 13. Uh, like we said, Makai and Daryl started. Ayala came off the bench, and Marcel kind of he struggled in his first start. You know, I mean, against Holy Cross, he had 15 points and five rebounds, and and as we previously talked about, he was that spark that night. He was the one that got them past their home opener. And in this game, he only had four points, you know, one for three from the field, and he had five turnovers. He just – and I honestly think it was just maybe an off night. It, it happens in a long season like this. And Daryl Morcel has played in his fair share of, you know, big games, so I think he'll uh, bounce back. But it was very uncharacteristic for Marcel being that glue guy. What, what was your interpretation of the night from everything, man? I think it was also an off night, but more that they kind of early on were forcing the ball. And I said it earlier that any turnover, any possible way you could turn the ball over, Maryland did it in the first, like, eight minutes. They really weren't in the game until three minutes left in the first half. So they basically slept walk through 17 minutes of the game. And that's where Morcel was picking up all those turnovers. He traveled a couple times. Mm-hmm. He had an offensive foul. He had a technical foul. I think he stepped out of bounds. He had a pass stolen from him. So I think playing from behind, that was their first, the real first time this year that they were playing well behind. They were down by mm-hmm. 12. So mm-hmm. I think they kind of forced it inside more, and that forced Morcel to create turnovers. And I going in – I had expected this was going to be a tough matchup for them. Rhode Island usually has pretty good teams in the Atlantic 10, and they usually put up a good fight, and they have some senior leadership on that team. Um, and honestly, even though I thought it would be a close match, I thought I thought Maryland would win by like five or seven, something like that. They were able to you know, turn things around with that delayed uh, surge, as we called it. And in the second half, they just – continued to put their foot on the pedal and and they put the team away which is something that they're going to have to do throughout the season you know to maintain a good record and play you know up to their level and not down to their competition which sometimes you know I feel like in previous years they've tend to do and allowed uh, not as good teams to upset them yeah I think I agree I thought this game would have been a little bit closer um, and especially in terms of when Rhode Island was up 12 and then Maryland had a, their largest lead of 21. So it, the game completely just, it just switched. And I don't know what really sparked that. I think it was the defense change for Maryland. They just, they were just stopping them mm-hmm. on so many possessions after they changed that defense, but it was also their ability to score and they couldn't, Maryland could not find the basket early on. And then all of a sudden they just erupted in the second half. They had, Jalen Smith had a big dunk. Aaron Wiggins started to hit his threes. He had two threes in this game. And he still struggled from behind the arc. He was two of five, but he still scored 13 points. So mm-hmm. I think it was just – they had four guys in, in double figures as well. I think having the ability to have different guys and just 
I don't really know what the spark was, but mm-hmm. they have so much depth that they can, oh, Lindo's struggling, put in Makai Mitchell or whatever yeah. it might be. Whatever the situation is, Turgeon figured it out, and they were able to just turn the game around completely. And that's what, it's hard to pinpoint one thing yeah. that happened. But like we keep saying, like it's so nice to see the young players and the older players come together, and it didn't have to come down to one play, but to put together multiple plays in order to get that spark and change the momentum of that game because Maryland Maryland fans there are about 14,000 of them there that night. You know, it's their first Saturday game of the year that uh, people are coming to see uh, and it appeared to me like they were just waiting for that moment, you know, for the Terps to jump out to a big lead and and prove they're the number 7 team in the in the nation and things like that and and they were waiting for I don't know, probably like what, like 15 minutes of the game before Maryland really started to turn it around and go on a run, which, you know, it's it's definitely not what you want to see, but if you're going to see it, you'd rather have it the first couple games of the year. I also think it's so impressive that they did sleepwalk through the pretty much the whole first half. Yes. And they still were able, they were down 12, able to get to a 21-point lead, win by 18. The fact that they were doing that and they struggled so much in the beginning just shows how good this team can really be because if they did play a complete game, I want I am curious what the score would have actually been. I mean, they won by what seventy three to fifty five, nearly almost twenty points. Like, and that was an off night for them. Yeah. And so, you know, who knows what it could have been if they really would have jumped out to an early lead and and they maybe if they did that. And this is something that Loxley says all the time, which we'll get to. But he's always like, I want to get younger players more involved, get them experienced. So I feel like if you jump out to an early lead against Rhode Island, play a little better, you get those twins in some meaningful minutes. Dante Scott gets some meaningful minutes. You know, you try to experiment with some more lineups to see what works well or, you know, how we can play this guy in this position. So obviously not the best performance for the Terps, but it was still pretty good. And now they'll look to take on Oakland on Saturday at noon, another home game. They start off the season with all home games until the tournament in Orlando. Oakland's a pretty good team, 3-1 and one on the year. They lost to Delaware. But the fact that they have three wins under their belt and they've already played four games, Maryland just played two games. So could that affect anything, or do you think Maryland just comes out and plays their game? It could because, like we just said, uh, they have more games under their belt, more experience to see what works, things like that. They played in a you know a tournament, so it was pretty uh, back-to-back games, things like that. But I, my biggest thing, and I usually talk about this with NFL football, but I think it comes into play here. When they're coming from a West Coast to an East Coast, I think that always plays an impact, whether it's you know uh, sleep schedule or something like that. So that could have some sort of effect on the game. But they they played. In the Sunshine Slam, they played three games uh, on November 8th, November 9th, and November 10th. Kind of like, I don't know if you're familiar with AAU basketball, but that's how AAU tournaments kind of take place. So I think they'll come in with a little bit of uh, momentum. And like you said, they're a very good team. So we'll just see how it comes into play against the Terps on on Saturday. And their redshirt senior leader, Xavier Hill-Mace, I believe that's how you pronounce it, Last year, average 18.3 points per game, 7.2 rebounds per game. Also from Greensboro, North Carolina, same place as Aaron Wiggins. So I'm not sure if they're familiar with each other, but either way, 
this guy is probably the standout for them, and he could potentially give Maryland a little bit of trouble. Have you ever heard of this guy before? I have not. He's six foot seven, two sixty one. So Just the mammoth of it. Yes, and you know he can. Uh, last year he scored thirty points or more on four occasions. Uh, you know he was one of two players last year for the. Uh, for Oakland to start in all 33 games. So he has experience, you know, he's got length, and I'm really excited to see how the Terps, you know, approach him. And I think this will come into play with foul trouble again because with his length, you're going to have to have somebody like a Jalen Smith or maybe even one of the Mitchell twins, or we'll see how, you know, quick he is off the ball. That comes into play, but it'll be a good test to see who stays out of foul trouble and, if they do get in foul trouble, who steps up? So would you like to make your prediction now, or do you want to do that at the end of the podcast? Um, I'll make it now. Uh, let's see. I have Maryland winning. I See, I thought Rhode Island was going to be the tougher test, toughest test, and they won by nearly 20 points. So I'm going to say Maryland wins 75 to 62. There you go. Yes. I have Maryland also winning. Failed to mention before that they stayed at the number seven rank in this updated AP poll. UNC was the team to leapfrog them because Florida was number six. Florida lost to Florida State. And then North Carolina, obviously, with Cole Anthony, they've been unstoppable. So they leapfrog Maryland. So Maryland stays at number seven despite two pretty convincing wins based on the score, but not totally based on their performance. But I also have Maryland winning this game. I'll take them 78-60, to 60, sort of another like 18-point win near 20 points. Um, I think it'll be another game where they come out a little bit slow because this time it's an early start. It's yes. at noon. They're used to kind of those like 6, 7 p.m. games. Now it's a noon game on a Saturday. 9 p.m. to noon. Yeah, it's very different. So I think they're going to have to do another adjustment in the game. But I think they'll figure it out and they'll – Come out with another victory. Do we want to make one more prediction? Do we want to do a leading score for Maryland? Sure. All right. I'm taking, I'm taking Anthony Cowan, 24 points. I'll take Aaron Wiggins, 18 points. So it's, this is like his coming out game. This to you. is it. Out, right, he's so gonna how, hit. He's gonna hit four threes. He's going out of how many? How many is he gonna take? Four or five. Four or five. Okay. And you think that lights a spark on him going forward? I do. I think this is where he gets the ball rolling. All right. Women's basketball though did not play a pretty good game as Maryland men's basketball did they did host a top 10 team in the number eight South Carolina Gamecocks but Maryland lost 63 to 54 and it was just they could not score they really just it seemed like every shot they put up miss 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 and it wasn't them because the ball was going in and out for most of these shots but they only shot 31 percent from the field and made only two of 16 three-pointers and that I think is the mark that really just put them down, and they couldn't get anything rolling out of this. Yeah, I when I saw that, you know, their per, their shooting percentage over the this past weekend, I I was really shocked. And the one thing that really stood out to me was Taylor Mikesell going 0-4, which I mean it's going to happen. Don't get me wrong. Aaron Wiggins has had struggles, and it's early season, so you'll see that. And you know, as as Matt and I kind of talked about prior to jumping on the podcast is, you know, you, you probably won't see many performances like this as far as shooting percentages go 
But if you're going to have something like this, you're going to want to have it at the beginning of the season when you're still trying to get your legs under you and you're still trying to figure things out instead of February, March, and possibly April when if this happens, you know, their season's over. Yeah, and I think I think for them it's good to have especially a game like this, but have it against a top ten team this early. And as you said, you don't want it to happen late. You want it to happen now. They now know what they have to work on. They were ranked number four. They now move down to number eight in the poll. Just from this loss, they don't even fall that much, and they're still a top ten team, and their schedule is getting much easier now. Obviously, South Carolina was the hardest team that they would have played early on. So I think they really now know what they have to work on. And I think from what I saw, other than getting their shots in, Ashley Owusu, she was legit, but she also sometimes plays with tunnel vision and just puts her head down and just runs to the rim and tries to score. I think if she passes the ball just a little bit more, they could be that much better. So a couple things. First off, I just want to say that I wouldn't read too much into the loss to South Carolina because Maryland beat them by – they won 85-61 to 61 last year, like – I wouldn't read too much into it, but I remember when uh, Brenda Freeze announced that Ashley Owusu was coming to Maryland. I looked up her highlight tape on YouTube, and I was like, "Wow, this is this this girl is going to be something special in Maryland." And I have not gotten the chance to see her play in a Maryland uniform yet. But my question for you, Matt, is you know, um, you know, junior guard Shanice Lewis is undergoing surgery today for a torn lateral meniscus in her left knee, and she's expected to miss a couple of months. Last year, she was kind of like the person, the facilitator, along with Taylor Mikesell, at the top of the key, making things happen. Is Ashley Owusu kind of going to fall into that role, or is she still going to be, you know, the scoring dominant guard that she appears to be? I think she's going to have to adjust to do a little bit of both. Now, um, she obviously started in both games so far, she led the team in points in the first game. She led the team in points in the second game. She had the most minutes in the second game. 17 points, 7 rebounds, 3 assists. I think the only thing that will change going forward is she'll have more assists or she'll set up other players to score. And I think that's taking the role of Lewis. And sometimes even Mike Sell passes pretty well. So mm-hmm. I think as a point guard, I think she's more of a scoring first option. But... I want to see if she can change into that Shanice Lewis role and kind of be more of the facilitator who runs the offense and sets up the plays and has that vision. Once she gets that vision, I think she could be one of the best players in the country. And that's the thing. She's a freshman. So you're going to have plays. She's used to being on these teams, I assume, where she's she's by far the best player. And she has to make everything happen. And when you step up to the next level, you know, at the University of Maryland at Division I – that's not the case, and you have players like Kyla Charles and Mike Sell and Diamond Miller on your team who are all talented players, and it's only the second game of the season. So I think she'll adjust, and I think she'll be able to fall into that role, but at the same time, like I think you know she can't stop looking for a shot either. Uh, but I, I did Mike Sell, from your viewpoint, did Mike Sell ever run the offense, or was it mostly Ashley on that day? It was mostly Ashley doing okay. it. Um, Mike Sell, I think she played more off-ball, mm-hmm. um, but she also couldn't get it going from mm-hmm. behind the arc. So. Well, not even, you know, she went 0-5 from field goal. She remained yeah. scoreless. 
which I am very shocked to see. But Ashley Owusu, you know, led the team in minutes as well, which is pretty interesting, having more than Kyla Charles uh, as well. And Charles struggled. This is probably one of her worst career games in terms of shooting. She had 11 points, but she shot 5 of 18 from the field. And we always say, like, oh, don't point your fingers too much at this game. It's just the second game of the year, top 10 team. But Mm -hmm. that can't happen. From Kyla Charles. Charles. If you're the senior leader, you're a preseason AP All-American, preseason Big Ten Player of the Year, you can't miss that many shots. And, yes, it's early. That's not going to happen again, Mm -hmm. and I know that. But that is one of the reasons why that they couldn't get anything going. And, I mean, she knows that. She's being a senior. She's played in plenty of big games. Uh, Last year was a pretty big one as well against South Carolina. So I think she understands that. And and when covering the team last year, it it seemed like she had a pretty good hold as a junior on – you know, her role and being a leader on the team. So I, I think, like you said, I don't think it'll happen again. And I really think this team's still trying to figure out where they can gel, things like that, which is sort of the same as the men's, which is going to be something that you'll have every year. But like you said, it's just she can't allow that to happen being the senior leader. And Diamond Miller put, played a pretty good game as a freshman, 10 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. She was pretty solid, and she's long. It's 6'3". She's a long wingspan. She had a really good defense as well. So I was impressed by her, as well as another freshman, Faith Masonis, and Stephanie Jones. All They both had three steals in this game. And I noticed that Masonis, she was playing down low, and she would just take the ball away. Just give me that, basically. Just grab it and run. It wasn't even that she was stealing it off the dribble. She was stripping them when they were going to the basket. And she'd strip the ball out of their hands, and she'd make a play up the other way. So I think she was a little nervous on offense coming into the game, but if she translates her ability to steal the ball and block the ball, I think, she, and then she translates into scoring, she could be one of the most complete players as well. So this team is so deep, and I don't think we can really say that, oh, this, I, I don't think we can really say that this loss will affect them so much because it's so early on, but. I think they have a lot to work on, and now they know what they have to do. And I, uh, I hear Diamond Miller's pretty fast. Did you? Yes. Did you witness that? Yes. Pretty. She good. was blowing by people, trying to get fast break layups, and she had the ball. Just put the ball down, dribbled all the way to the rim, past everyone. They had 15 fast break points, and it, from my understanding, it seems like that. And I remember when she signed as well. She was a very promising player when I looked up her uh, mixtape as well. The uh, the team's next matchups are going to be at JMU uh, Wednesday and then home versus Delaware. Last year, the Terps went 2-0 and against these teams. And honestly, I look for it to be a, uh, a similar outcome. How about you, Matt? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to say they win both of these as well. And I think it's because they have this South Carolina game under their belt. And now they're going to face weaker teams than South Carolina. Still being a top 10 team, they're number eight now, Maryland is. So they know now what to do. And no defense is going to be as good as South Carolina until maybe Big Ten play. I'm not sure the whole schedule, but as far as these two teams go, their defenses are not as good as South Carolina. So I expect a big bounce back game from Charles and Mike Sell. And I think it'll be a more 
complete performance as it was in the first game. Yeah, last year uh, against JMU, Kyler Charles led the way with 24 points. Taylor Mikesell added 16, and Blair Watson also had 10. So I think they'll pick it up after you know that loss and kind of take it back to the drawing board and, and refocus a little bit. So we'll move on to field hockey. Maryland field hockey played in its first Big Ten tournament game. They were the number one team going into the tournament. They had a bye, so they played in the semifinal game, and they lost to Penn State 1-0 in Happy Valley. Penn State was hosting it. Penn State was the five seed, and they and the Nittany Lions scored seven minutes into the game. Maryland just couldn't get the equalizer. They had so many goals called back, so many penalty corners that they probably should have gotten that they didn't. There was a lot of questionable calls by the officiating crew, and they had to go to the replay booth a lot. But Maryland couldn't get it done, and that costed them a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. So now they won't be hosting in the first two rounds, which they have done so many times. Maryland now going to the NCAA tournament for the 25th straight year, which is the longest active streak. And they will be, they well, they got an at-large bid, obviously, because they didn't win the Big Ten tournament. They're not a top-four seed, so they're traveling to Charlottesville. Virginia, actually, is the three seed, so they'll host the first two rounds. Maryland's playing St. Joseph, Joseph's on Friday at 2.30 in Charlottesville, and then they'll take on the winner, if they do win, of number three Virginia and Delaware, so I think this is, I think the whoever picks the bracket gave Maryland a little bit of a lower look than they should have gotten, being the number two team in the country, going into the Big Ten tournament. They just lost. That's their third loss of the season. All of those losses have been one nothing. So I really do think that this team is good enough to get back to the championship, and uh, really, if they beat St. Joseph's. They already beat Virginia this year, so they know what they can do with them. Then they would have to go to the Final Four in Wake Forest. So I think this is very interesting. Field hockey is very top-heavy, but Maryland is definitely capable of getting back. So you do you think, you know, being in Charlottesville, Virginia having home field advantage, do you think that uh, that plays a factor at all, man? I know you've been around the team a lot more than I have this year, but I, I'm just curious to see if you think that'll have any impact on the game. Well, I think it'll have more of an impact against Maryland. I don't know if it'll have an impact for Virginia, but definitely against Maryland because the three losses they have were not at home. They did not lose a single game at home this year, and they won't be playing a game at home again. So that is really what they have to work on is playing on the road, going to Virginia, and taking on a team that they're not familiar with in St. Joseph. So St. Joseph is very good. I think they have 17 wins. Maryland has 16. Mm -hmm. So that's a very interesting game that I think Maryland can win and will win. And then I also think Virginia will win against Delaware. So Maryland will take on Virginia, who they beat in a shootout early on in the season. So, Mm -hmm. and that was at home in college park. So I think taking on a team like Virginia, if they do get there and Virginia wins as well, That'll help Maryland being familiar with them and having the confidence to beat them again. So you said they're going back to the championship. Can we maybe expect a uh, North Carolina-Maryland rematch again? I think so. I think North Carolina is just that they're they're a wagon in field hockey. They I don't know I don't know what it is, but they I think they're nineteen and zero. They're just unstoppable. They're the once overall one seed in the 
entire tournament. So I'd expect them to get to the championship. Maryland would have to run through UConn, though. Yes. The two seed. They'd have to run through the three seed, most likely the three seed, Virginia. And then if UConn wins their two games, they'd have to run through the number two seed in UConn. So that's a team they also have pretty good uh, history with. And UConn beat them in the 2017 National mm-hmm. Championship. So. So what about a final score prediction, Matt? You want to give one? Or... I'll give one for St. Joseph's. I'll say three to one. Maryland will win. Okay. It'll be pretty commanding, but a very normal field hockey score. And I do think they'll take on Virginia, which I'll give my prediction for that. Or that will also be on Sunday. So I'll give okay. my prediction for that one too. I'll say Maryland will win that one two one, and they'll get a late goal in the fourth quarter. Okay. Some more heroics from this team because they did it last year going to the Final Four, a late goal, mm-hmm. and they did it going to the National Championship. They had another late goal. So I think they have those heroics in late in the fourth quarter overtime that will spark them. And then volleyball, who's had some struggles recently, um, by far the most struggles, I would say even more so than football out of any Maryland yeah. team. Uh, they have not won a set a single set in a match since October 23rd against Northwestern. So they've gotten swept in three sets in five straight matches. Yes, they did play top 10 teams in those matches, but still just to take a set off of one of those teams, they, they haven't been able to do that. Yeah. They've really struggled on the offensive, you know, and, and it's, 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 I don't even know how to define it because this was supposed to be, you know, their year to try to finally break through and, try to uh, get some kind of, uh, you know, tournament berth and, and things like that. Their their last five losses came uh, at the hands of number eight, Penn State, number four, Wisconsin, at Ohio State, and then this past weekend against number six, Minnesota, and number four, Wisconsin. So the Big Ten, uh, similar to football, as you alluded to, Matt, has not been very nice to Maryland so far, and it's it honestly doesn't look to get too much better for the team. They're going to Indiana on Friday and then Purdue that uh, that following Saturday. And I I don't know. It just doesn't look like the rest of the season is going to go very well for the Terps. And you said it was supposed to be their year to get into the tournament, and then now they just absolutely plummet. And they were they were pretty decent going early in the year. We talked about how they should have won a little bit more non-conference games but they were still they weren't that bad and they have talent erica pritchard is one of the best players in the big 10 katie myers is one of the best players in the big 10 and that's on attacking and blocking as well so i just think that they have the talent they're a very good team but the big 10 is so good the big 10 is the best conference in college volleyball so they don't have enough talent to compete with wisconsin penn state uh, Nebraska, whatever it is, these teams are, or even um, Illinois, that these teams are so good, they're all up there in the top teams in the country. And Maryland, I think if they were in a different conference, they would be one of the best teams in, in a different conference. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I haven't heard Erica's Erica Pritchard's name much. Have yeah, you? I have not heard her name in a, quite a while. I mean, early on, I know she was doing pretty well, but I don't know in terms of how she's doing now later in the season. And then also, uh, you know, on t- Thursday it was announced that Serps uh, were losing redshirt sophomore middle blocker Katie Myers to a sprained foot. And 
Nicole Alford were both sidelined for the weekend matches. So injuries starting to come into play as well. Definitely not what you want to see by the end of the season, but I don't know. Let's see. We'll have to see if they'll be able to, you know, salvage the remaining games that they have. And we'll move into football, which is the other team struggling a lot. Uh, they were demolished. They did score points this past weekend. They did score points. That was the highlight. Yes. They were demolished by the number one team in the country, according to the college football playoff, Ohio State, 73-14. to 14. And the Maryland football team and the Maryland basketball team both played on Saturday. It was a, a trending joke on Twitter, which team will allow more points? And the football team allowed 73 points. The basketball team, just 55. So I think that's the biggest stat of the day. But we'll talk about this football game, and it was just terrible. I, I, yeah, it was. It, it almost looked, and I think Gus Johnson said, Gus Johnson was on the call for Fox. He said it looks personal, what Ohio State was it, doing. It did. And, <laughs> and over the years, we've got to know Gus Johnson's calls. When Ohio State is up, whatever amount and they score their fifth touchdown and Maryland hasn't scored yet he just doesn't sound enthused anymore he's like and there's another one you know and it it did seem personal it was very I think they went up 14 nothing and then Ryan Day elects to go to an onside kick to where it's just fielded right in the arms of an Ohio State wide receiver like it it did look I don't know why but it comes after they got the number one ranking of the college football playoff. And I think they wanted to set out and prove that. And they wanted to, you know, shut down any type of upset talk that people may have had from the previous year's, you know, outcome. But it was it it was it was over by halftime, if you know, by the latest. And Chase Young, a Heisman candidate, one of their defensive linemen, he could be the number one pick in the next draft. He is so good, but he got suspended for this game due to some NCAA violation of accepting a loan or something. Mm-hmm. And now, based on this performance, I think it came out that maybe Maryland was the I don't know who in who here leaked it, but people think that Maryland leaked it to get Chase Young suspended for this game. And people say that's because he he went to DeMatha, he's from right near here. And he didn't commit to Maryland, and he went to Ohio State. And I think I don't know if that's true, and I'm not going to say it is. But based on Ohio State, just keep pounding Maryland, and they just ran up the score. They didn't stop. I think that might have had something to and do with it. And a lot of people said that that's what Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt were alluding to yeah. during the during the uh, broadcast. And and we're definitely on this podcast not saying so. But that's what a lot of people were saying on Twitter and things like that. But another part of that is, you know, a lot of people's speculation started to grow because Maryland lost the recruit during the middle of the game. It was the second of the week. They lost three-star offensive lineman Jordan White out of DeMatha, the same place that Chase Young is from. And he decommitted from the Terps 2020 class, and he was the highest-ranked offensive line pledge that they had. Now... As we have all seen this year, Maryland needs as much help as they can get on the offensive line. And that certainly is not a good look, but I remember sitting there, Matt, with Lila and Sean, and we're watching the game, and we're writing, and we could not believe that somebody decommitted in the middle of the game. It was very surprising, but the Terps just, they just, they weren't putting a very good 
product out on the field. It's almost comical that someone can decommit in the middle of a game when the team is getting just blown out. And yeah, I don't know what it has to do with because Loxley's a great recruiter and he's known for that, but they're just not performing by any means. They don't even look like a Big Ten football team. So I don't know if that's why two guys have decommitted already. I'd probably expect more to do it as well. And I think it's just because they're getting blown out on national television week by week. And that's the thing with recruits, National Signing Day starting to come up soon, the next couple months. It'll be interesting to see how Loxley's able to maintain recruits and show them that, or try to tell them that this was just a fluke year. You know, we're trying to build something here and you need to be, you know, part of this. But. I kind of I would love to sit in for his pitch to a recruit and have him explain that to him and, and get his pitch uh, firsthand to see what he really says and what he tells the recruit's parents and what he tells the recruit and about the facilities and things like that. But it's I'm I'm very curious to see what this what this record what these losses have an impact on as far as recruiting goes. And Maryland's quarterbacks really struggled in this game. Terrell Pigrom had more uh, more snaps. Josh Jackson, he played as well. Both of them a little bit banged up, but I, I don't know if they're fully healthy yet. People have been kind of up in the air about that. But they combined to go 8 of 17 for 77 yards. Jackson threw the one touchdown. Pigram threw the one interception. But the fact that they only attempted a pass 17 times combined is – it just blows my mind. I don't know how, when you're down by that much and you just keep running the ball, that's not going to do anything. So I don't know how they just threw the ball combined 17 times the entire game. Yeah, and, and I start to wonder, because Josh Jackson obviously started the game and then Piggy came in, and then I'm pretty sure Josh Jackson came back in in like the third quarter or something. And I just, I, I'm not in the locker room. I can't tell them what they're thinking, the coaching staff, but a quarterback's confidence definitely has to waver a little bit when if he doesn't have the best series of his life, you know, he kind of gets pulled and then Piggy comes in or Josh comes in. So it's interesting to see that and maybe they're just doing it week by week and just seeing who really puts the best product on the field as far as, you know, against the teams and against the matchups. But, yeah, they definitely, as far as the quarterback position for the for the Terps, it wasn't their best performance. And Javon Leak played okay in nine attempts for 55 yards. Um, Fleet Davis had eight attempts, 44 yards, and a touchdown, so he actually did pretty well. And McFarland, he didn't play, obviously, up to the caliber that he did last year against Ohio State when he rushed for 200, or it was a total of 290-something yards, I think. A lot. Above 200. And he didn't have that game. He's been a little shaken up. He looked well. He looked really good in practice. That's what Gus Johnson said, at least, that the Maryland staff said that this was McFarland's best week of practice all season, but he just didn't come out with it. Dante Demas, the wide receiver, had one catch for a touchdown. It was 26 yards. So those were, it was Fleet Davis and Demas were just, had really one highlight play. They didn't really have yards, but they had touchdowns, and that was the, just the scoring that they did. But I think on the defensive side, although Maryland's defense, conceded 73 points. Keandre Jones against his former school 
had eight tackles, he had a sack, and he forced a fumble. And I don't know if that was a little bit of revenge, but he did definitely go out and he played pretty well. Yeah, definitely. And and it was interesting. I, I'll, I'll go back to the Anthony McFarlane thing real quick. Anthony McFarlane only had six rushes. He touched the ball eight times with his two receptions as well. And honestly, if the coaching staff is saying this is Anthony McFarlane's best week, I don't necessarily believe that if they're only giving him the ball eight times. That's just my opinion. I'm not trying to speculate about anything. But as far as Keandre Jones goes, yeah, he had. it was cool to see him go up against his former team. And and after the game, he there's a Twitter video of him like – huddling around a bunch of his former teammates, and he was really excited for them and told them, you know, go win it all. And I think that just says a lot about Keandre and about the person he is and how he he had to come to Maryland and do what's best for him, but his former, you know, teammates were, you know, huddled around him and, and showing him some love. And I like I said, I think that just speaks levels to the to the player and the person that, the, that Keandre Jones is. And for Ohio State, Justin Fields, Heisman Trophy candidate as their quarterback, just he balled 16 of 25, 200 yards, three touchdowns. There was no – everything was a bright spot. There was no hole. He didn't seem faced. Like, I know I know, I know, know Maryland has a, you know, some struggles in the secondary with whether they're running zone or man-to-man, but he just picked them apart. Yeah, it was really did. It, uh, it was – I can't even put that into words. He just sat in the pocket, and if Maryland would somehow get any pressure on him, he would just – you know, jog out and you know, flick of the wrist down the down the field. He it was he played very well and he only played a half. Two hundred yards, three touchdowns and, and a half against Maryland. Master Teague, one of the running backs at eighteen attempts for hundred and eleven yards. JK Dobbins, who's also a Heisman Trophy candidate, had twelve attempts, ninety yards and two scores. He was legit as well. So I think they they really have, depending on if young comes back and plays and whatever happens with that suspension. They have three Heisman Trophy candidates, I would say, in the top ten in the discussion, in Justin Fields, Mm -hmm. J.K. Dobbins, and Chase Young. And I think that's why they're the number one team in the country. But I don't know if when Alabama's number one or if Clemson's number one in the past couple years, if they had the same amount of candidates go up for this award. I think Ohio State might be one of the most complete teams Especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. When when is the last time I can't, remember, I can't remember we've had an offensive and a defensive player on both sides of the ball, a Heisman candidate. I like you said I can't remember. And for that team, I know it's Maryland, but for that team to put up that performance without, I think their best player, possibly like you said, Matt, the number one overall pick, possibly in the next upcoming draft, it, it really says something. And I think, I think at the end of the year, I think you'll definitely probably see at least one Ohio State player in the Heisman, you know, finalist uh, ceremony next to probably Joe Burrow, I'd assume, and who else we got? Probably Tua Tagovailoa. Yeah, Tua's up there as well. So we'll just have to wait and see. So luckily for this football team, they won't play this week. They have a bye week, but then they have their final two games against Nebraska and Michigan State. Nebraska will be their last home game and then at Michigan State. So Lila said it when it was the Indiana Week podcast. She said that Maryland football would not win another game the rest of the way. And so far she is correct, so we'll give her that prediction. And I think she will be correct because I think there's no possible way that they beat Michigan State 
the team that they could beat at home in their last home game, senior day, would be Nebraska. But I think they're just they're just too checked out mentally. Yeah, I, I can understand that. And honestly, you probably most people would be too. They they're not able to make a bowl anymore, uh, which I said at the beginning of the year. I will stand up to my uh, my misprediction, and I said everybody, you know, go go out and buy your clown shoes because they're going bowling this year, and I was wrong. So the uh, Nebraska, you know, they're coming off a of three losses in a row. Their last win came, I believe, the same exact day as Maryland's last win on October fifth. They beat Northwestern while Maryland beat Rutgers. So we'll have to see. They have Wisconsin this upcoming week, but I think the bye week gives them a little time to at least kind of clear their head before they have their final two games of the year. So it's a big weekend for Maryland sports. Women's basketball plays two games this week. Men's basketball plays Saturday. We didn't talk about much about men's soccer, but they also have the next round of the Big Ten tournament. They're taking on the number one seed, Indiana, in College Park. So that's a big game. A rematch. A rematch from what they had last year and as well a rematch from – uh, earlier in the year, um, they won regular season. three zero. It was pretty yeah. pretty big win for them. So it's hard to beat a team twice, especially with that good. But Maryland being at home, they have sort of that momentum and the home field advantage. Field hockey, obviously, we mentioned plays in the first round of the NCAA tournament and the second round if they win. And volleyball looks to kind of turn around whatever they have left of the year. So stay tuned. For all of our coverage on every single sport for Maryland at TestudoTimes.com. And we thank you for joining us on the Testudo Times Weekly Podcast.